Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today we're talking about more people you didn't know you needed in your corner, the Guardian Ad Litem. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, as always, with my good friend, Pete. And I got to tell you, Pete, I'm excited today because we have Courtney Bowes, a good friend of mine as well, a family law attorney here in the great state of Florida, more specifically in Tampa. But she is a mediator and a guardian ad litem. And I know, Pete, I know. Yeah, nobody, nobody knows what that You've means. been up all night. <laughs> yeah. It's like Google search. I gave up. I I met I we actually had the luxury of the of a meeting a few weeks ago doing a sound check. And, and I asked Courtney, I don't know if you remember, Courtney, I asked you the one question that had been plaguing me. I didn't know that Tampa legal professionals came from Hogwarts. What <laughs> what are you doing? What with why does why does law make it so hard? Come on. <laughs> Courtney's like, I don't want to be on the show now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. Everything we've ever talked about, I take it back. So what's, Hi, a, what's no. a guardian ad litem, Courtney? So a guardian ad litem is someone that's appointed by the court to make recommendations that are in the best interest of children in a particular case. So there are guardian ad litems that are appointed um, in dependency court. Uh, when the state comes in and becomes involved in someone's family. And then there's private guardian ad litems, which is the work that I primarily do, where it's a family law issue, whether it's a divorce or a post-judgment case, um, and the court appoints a guardian in that respect. So see, she's already like making it confusing. She tried to like make it where you could understand it. <laughs> tried to make it easier. Yeah, she's like, well, and we're, we're back to potions <laughs> with Professor Snape. <laughs> where, the, where the court, like, okay, so Courtney, remember, yeah. we're dealing with Pete. He's not a lawyer. So whenever we say the court, <laughs> Pete, we just mean the judge. But yes. as oh. lawyers, we have to treat the judges with a lot of respect. And so we always, we don't even refer to them as judge. It's either your honor or the court. Please the court. Please the court. May please it please the, court. the court. Well done, Pete. <sighs> Winner, oh, winner, chicken goodness. dinner. Welcome to season two, everybody. <laughs> I just got one right. <laughs> so, Courtney. Yes. When we're explaining this to Pete and to all our listeners out there, when would someone use a guardian ad litem? Because you're there on behalf of the children. You're not, you're not on behalf of the dad or the mom or one parent or the other parent. Right. Right. You're you're the children's voice, so to speak. Is that right? That's exactly right. I'm the children's voice. So a lot of times in in most, let's call it a divorce case, right? In most divorces, we hear mom's voice a lot from mom and her attorney, and we hear dad's voice a lot from dad and his attorney, but you never really hear the kids' voices, right? You hear what mom and dad think the kids' voices are saying, but you don't actually hear the voices. So what the guardian is able to do is talk with the kids, talk with other family members, friends, professionals that have interacted and worked with the kids, and then report to the court what all these people say on behalf of the kids. So that's how the kids can can get their voices heard in court. And so just to make it even more complicated, Pete, is when we're talking, when court is talking about, well, talking to school teachers or friends or other people, we call those collaterals. Mm -hmm. 
Those are other people. They're collateral. So put that in your potion. Do you, do you even hear yourself sometimes? I do. Just making stuff up on the fly. Look, I have, I, I, my question is this, and I don't know if you want to get into all of this now or if there's more detail to come later, but I'm sitting here as a position of a parent thinking, let's just say it's hard not to hear this without saying, okay, I'm relinquishing part of my voice as a parent to the guardian ad, ad litem to then be the voice channeling my children in court. Does that make sense? Like, am I giving something up as a parent just because I'm in this process? So I don't think that you're giving up your voice. What the guardian is able to do is is bring information into court that otherwise wouldn't be admissible. Ooh, here's another word. Another one, Pete. Oh, okay. <laughs> because yeah, of that, heard that, one that rule of hearsay, right? <laughs> I bet that one's come up before. <laughs> so because of the rule of hearsay, a lot of information cannot come into court during a hearing or a trial. So when a guardian is appointed, um, the vast majority of the time, the hearsay, the the parties, the parents waive the hearsay rule. All right, Pete, you ready for me to break that down for you? Would you please? Break I know that you're down like you like. I need a drink already. <laughs> Allow me to serve as a vessel for everyone listening to this okay. show right now. Please, so help me. It, to answer your question about do you give up control, right? I, that's a that's a great question. It, it's it like most lawyers, the answer is it depends. So one part would be well, if you don't want to have the judge hear what your kids are going to say, then you might be giving up some control because now they're going to have a avenue through the guardian to talk on their behalf. Okay. Now, if you're the parent is like, hey, there's my kids are saying all this bad stuff about dad. You know, dad does this, dad does that. This is what dad says. This is what, how he treats us. So if you're the mom and you're sitting in court and your lawyer says, what did the children say about what happened at dad's? The lawyer is going to say objection hearsay. Okay, because what that is asking, and I'm going to say a very legal definition and then I'm going to explain it. Hearsay is an out-of-court statement. That's easy. That's something that the kid said out of the courtroom. All right. Yeah, at home. Right, wherever. Right. Offered in court. Here comes the tricky part. To prove the truth of the matter asserted. So (laughs) here it is. Dad says, my kids say that their dad hits them. Now, when you say that, you're trying to prove to the court that dad really hits them. Okay. Okay, you're not allowed to do that because that's what the kids said and you're hearing it and now you're saying it in court. And when you say you, you're in this case, let's say mom. Uh, or I'm, I'm say the mom you're defending, in this case, right. You're defending right. mom. Okay, right. so she can't do that. She cannot that's say, say my kids say that dad hits them. Okay. Be- and I want you, judge, to believe that dad hits them. Yeah. Okay, because that's for the truth of the matter asserted. I'm going to distinguish that for a minute. And if they say, well, I'm saying that dad hits them. And then they say, oh, objection hearsay. The lawyer on the other side thinks he's brilliant. And the other lawyer says, no, judge, I'm not offering it to prove that dad really hits them. I'm offering it to tell you why I think my children are afraid of dad. That's a whole different deal. Right. Right. It's not necessarily true. It's I'm telling you, that's what they're saying. And I think they're afraid of him because they say these things. Not that it's true, but that's, so that's like a a little workaround, so to speak, okay? 
But okay. when Courtney gets involved, she's allowed to go talk to the kids. And Courtney, as the guardian, the hearsay rule is suspended. And she can say, yeah, the kid said, Judge, that dad hits them. And that somehow, be- because it comes from you, the guardian, it is somehow vetted. Yeah, the guardian, it's somehow protected against the hearsay rule. And the judge will actually listen to you. Right. Mom and dad have to weigh the hear- waive the hearsay rule. So they stipulate okay. that there is no hearsay for when I come in and testify. So I can say that the kids told me something or the teacher told me something or the children's therapist told me something and none of those people are in court. I'm reporting it to the judge on their behalf. Or it could be, Pete, I review the kids report cards. And this is what their grades are, because technically that is a statement of how the kids are doing in school, that report card. Sure. Courtney's not bringing that into court. She's just saying, I reviewed them, Judge. Mm-hmm. Wait, so so report cards, though, you uh, is, Courtney's the only one who can talk about those statements. Those are just like bank statements, right? I mean, you can bring those in and you have all these exceptions to the hearsay rule, which yeah, we're not yeah, in yeah. today. But that's a very good yeah, point. Okay. It's like bank statements. Now, here's the other. Key. Okay. There's a lot of times. Like if you have an expert witness, an expert can rely on hearsay. So this isn't foreign concept when you're in a trial, but it is a foreign concept to parents when they're like, wait a minute, are you telling me anything my kid says to Courtney? Courtney can say that in court? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have, a, I have another question. Uh, one, Courtney, this is a bit of an aside. Are the kids ever in court with you or are you just representing them and you bring what they say? Is there ever a circumstance where the kids there come? There are circumstances where the kids come, but the vast majority of the time if I'm involved, the kids do not come. The only times that I've had cases where the kids have come in, the kids have been older, teenagers, and very specific circumstances. Otherwise, I go in on the children's behalf. And Pete, just like we always say, and especially when we get into these details about hearsay or what a guardian ad litem does, or if they have to, the parent have to waive hearsay, that Courtney's talking about in Florida, mainly in Hillsborough County, where she does most of her work. So please, everyone out there, as I always say every show, and I'm sorry to repeat myself, check with your local attorney, make sure they're licensed in that jurisdiction, and check that jurisdiction on how they handle these types of issues. But these general concepts about what a guardian ad litem does should be fairly standard uh, across the whole wide world here. You should, for those listening, you should actually see if you can get one of Seth's business cards. It actually says, Seth Nelson Esquire, check your local jurisdiction. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all it says. Story. Okay. <laughs> my, my next question, my next question, and this is the thing that I've been, I've actually been noodling over since, since that Really great Hogwarts quip I made a few minutes ago uh, is the uh, the hearsay rule as it pertains to other people, not the parents. Let's talk about doctors and therapists and other people like is is this all contained in your scope of work when advocating for the kids? It's a scope of work question, right? Like on a typical case, like how far do you get to go in representing sort of or protecting kids voices? It depends on the case and it depends on the issues. So I've had some cases with some very serious issues where I'm talking with the kids, pediatricians and specialists and therapists and, and, and talking with 
numerous professionals. Um, I have other cases where I talk to mom and dad and the kids, and that's kind of it. Um, so it really just depends on the issue that each particular family is having and how serious the accusations or allegations might be. Um, and we take it on a case-by-case basis. To put a little meat on that bone, Pete, we've all, unfortunately, in family law, we'll, might deal with something where uh, one parent is saying the other parent is physically abusing the child. Sure. So then you're going to have to go review medical records, mm-hmm. talk to the doctor, see what's happening there. Um, it could be a parent doesn't do any of the homework. And let's say it's pretty easy to tell you have a week on week off schedule. So the kid goes back one week with one parent, the other week, the other parent and Courtney might go review all the homework and the um, school records and be like, Oh yeah. With dad constantly late on dad's mornings when he's supposed to be dropping off, the homework's not getting done in the, in the, the spelling test at the end of the week is a C or a D, but with mom, it's an A or a B and the kid's always on time. Mm-hmm. So okay. all that type of stuff and where these issues arise, it's not like Courtney has a list and says, is there any domestic violence? Is there any this or that? It's parents are going to tell you, right? They've talked to their lawyer. They've decided they need a guardian and light them. And then Courtney does an interview. Hey, what's going on? What are your concerns? What's the other parent doing that's that's going well? What's what do we need to work on? And that's where these issues come out. Okay. I uh, at what point you said something there that I I feel like triggered a question I hadn't thought of. At what point do parents come to a decision that they need a guardian ad litem in in between them and and for their kids? That seems like a hard, it might be a hard decision to come to. I think it depends on the case and the issues and and different cases I'm brought in at different times. So some cases have really serious allegations right at the beginning of the case. Maybe it's one parent is... Um, has a substance abuse issue. Um, and the other parent is very concerned about the children's safety being with that parent, but they don't have proof to bring in front of the judge in order to prevail on getting some, some safety measures put into place, right? Maybe there was, there's no DUI, there's no arrest, there's nothing, but he said, she said other cases, maybe I'm brought in you know, once, the parties have been in the process for a while Um, after a separation, maybe like what Seth's example was a few minutes ago, the homework's not getting done with one parent or they're bringing the children to school late, or maybe the children are objecting to going to one parent's house after the parties separate. And, um, you know, they're having um, distress from a mental health perspective. So those are maybe I'm brought in later on down the road. Um, Sometimes. So it really I mean, it could be anyone in in the process who who indicates, you know, we need Courtney here. Like one parent, the other parent. Absolutely. The parent might raise it to the the lawyer. The the court. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very okay. good, Pete. That was impressive. The court, you said that. Did like, you see what that did? Yeah. It was Look, just a minute ago, Courtney said uh, maybe one of the kids objected to going over to dad's house. And my instinct was to say, overruled. <laughs> but I just want you to know I listen when you say things. I no, listen. You're an I may use listener. them incorrectly, but I listen. <laughs> but the interesting thing in why I'm so thrilled to have Courtney, uh, 
on the toaster here is because she's so amazing at what she does. And what I mean by that is not only is she very smart, but she can connect to kids very quickly within one or two visits and where the kids will open up. Now, it's different if it's a teenage girl versus a five-year-old little boy, right? But if you're talking to a five-year-old little boy and, the, and let's say mom's concerned that dad's drinking all the time, the five-year-old might not have the words to say, yeah, dad's cracking beers all night, right? But what what Courtney might get out of that child and just talking to him is like, well, what's your bedtime routine? And then the kid might say, well, you know, I take a tubby and, you know, my dad gets it ready for me, but then I just do it on my own. And then I I just put on my PJs and go to bed. Well, where's dad when you Where's dad? dad? Right. So well, it, I took him a six pack right. and then he went to sleep. <laughs> or dad was already chair. asleep, you know. Yeah, right. right. Okay. So there, there's right. that. So to give an example of how Courtney does her job, I think helps people listening to say, okay, what actually happens? Like, how does a guardian yeah. do this? So, And you have access to both the both parents. Mm-hmm. You're talking to everybody and you have to somehow rationalize or sort of normalize those two positions against one another. Or is I use the word advocate for kids. And I, is that is that a word you would use or is it just representing the kids or how does how do you talk about it? I don't look at it as representing the kids. I'm not their attorney ad litem. I'm the guardian right, ad litem. Right. So I'm not representing the kids. And I'm not necessarily advocating for the kids. I think that might be a misconception also. Uh, yeah. So I think um, the better way to describe it is I'm I'm doing an investigation and then I'm making recommendations to the parents um, and their attorneys and be, and then to the judge if it becomes necessary. That recommendation is what Courtney thinks is best for these children. Yes. Okay. But I'm not a decision maker in the case. Just a representative of the facts and observations as you've collected them. Right. I'm reporting. Right. Okay. I'm a reporter. How how much does the does the child's position or let's say you've got somebody who's 13 and has a strong opinion on what they Wait, want to have happen next. 13-year-olds have strong how, opinions? <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Right. And so like how much of that strong opinion gets gets sort of filtered through you? Like, do you have do they have a a, a voice in this or, you know, how much do you take back to? I think it depends on the, the circumstances. The right. Again, it's a case yeah. by case. Yeah. Basis. No, you guys are nonsense. Both of you. <laughs> I know. This depends, case by depends, case depends. basis. So, uh, yeah, you know, right. certainly a 13 year old. It's like this isn't this is an elderly commercial for depends. It's just nonstop. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our first sponsor, Pete. Depends. Yeah. <laughs> Go, for it. Go ahead, I mean, Courtney. Sorry. No, it's okay. I, th- I think a 13-year-old's opinion and feelings on things is probably going to weigh a little more heavily than maybe a five-year-old's opinions on things. But it... it it depends on what the circumstances are, right? You know, if it's a safety issue versus if it's a you know, relocation issue, um, you know, you're going to... And by, by relocation, Pete, we mean if you're going to move from one, like more than 50 miles, let's say, or if you're going to move from one, one parent wants to move up to Washington, D.C., and the other parent's like, no, we need the children to stay in Tampa. You can move, but I don't want the kids to go. That That's a relocation, which those cases are very difficult because 
they're very, they don't settle. It's not like we're all going to settle and say, oh, we're going to move to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Right. It's either one or the other. Um, right. But I think to Courtney's point about it depends is Courtney's evaluating kind of the, not just the age of the child, but their maturity, their reasoning for saying what they want. It's not, hey, I want to do this. I want to stay with mom. Well, why do you want to stay with mom? What What's leading you to that conclusion? And that's the type of stuff that Courtney draws out of kids really well. And sometimes that child might say something that no one else is talking about. They might have their own point of view. And Courtney's like, I got it. I see what's happening here. And a cautionary tale, sometimes be careful what you wish for from a litigation perspective. If you have anyone saying, I want a guardian and litem, I want a guardian and litem, I want a guardian and litem, because they want to, that parent wants them to talk bad about the other parent. And Courtney gets a relationship with that kid. And then all it comes out is, yeah, dad's drinking. But let me tell you, mom's bashing dad every time she gets. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're just opening up to Courtney about one parent. Right. It's it's rarely a one-way street. Yeah. Would, would they would they really be in this position in the first place? <laughs> you got you to gotta wonder. Uh, because I think the legal term for that is takes two to tango rule. That is actually the 11th Amendment to the United States Constitution, Pete. That is well done. (laughs) I know, Seth. I know. Please. You think you need to take me to school on the 11th? Courtney, how do you how do you do your job? Like you it sounds like from what you're talking about, you see the worst in people through the eyes of their kids. Yes. Uh, how do you how do you keep that straight in your head? Like, why would they bring you in if it was sunshine and roses? I wish they brought me in on sunshine and roses. <laughs> right. Like, if your only choice was, do you get the pony or not? Like, that's you right. know, I don't get those cases. How do, you, how do you how do you do this? How do you how did you end up here? Well, I do it and keep doing it because. These kids do need their voices heard and the circumstances in which they find themselves through no fault of their own need a voice, you know. And and so my hope is that by the time I'm done being involved in it with the family, that they're in a better place than they were when I started. So that's how I keep going back and doing it, because hopefully they're in a better situation at the end. And I'm making a change for the better. How did I get started? I, I had a judge call me up a couple years ago, probably what, five, six years ago, and asked me if I would take a, a, a guardian case pro bono. <laughs> and you don't say no to a judge when they call you up and ask you to take a case pro bono. <laughs> but that's that's to Courtney's credit, to have a judge say, hey, I value your opinion. I've seen yeah. you in court. I've seen you in, in other legal organizations. And, and I really need some help trying to figure out what's going on in this case to, to protect these kids and do what's best for them. So that speaks volumes. Thanks. So, Courtney, as you know, the show really is about saving your relationships. So one thing that comes to mind that I think we should focus on and we'd love to get your input is you think you need a guardian ad litem. You know that person's going to talk to your children. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, though you're hoping they're going to just say bad things about the other parent, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But that puts that kid in a really tough position, right? They, they, maybe they don't want to say bad things about either parent. 
or they want to please both parents so that one time they'll say one thing, one time they'll say the other. How do you as a parent prepare your child and save that parent-child relationship to let them know that you can speak freely to the guardian? Because ultimately, if, if that parent's pressuring the child, like say bad stuff about dad and they're planting that seed, I think that those parents are running a big risk. And and since we are about saving your relationships, this just seems very dangerous. Yeah. On a breakdown of a parent-child relationship. Absolutely. And and after you do this for a long time, you definitely can pick up on cases where kids are being coached um, on what they should say. Those those pretty much scream out coaching, you know, when it happens. So what I've been encouraging parents to say to their kids before I meet with their kids um, is that mom and dad, we both want you to talk with Courtney. You know, we we both think it's important for you to have a voice and, and we both brought Courtney in for you to talk to and to have the voice um, and encourage them to be truthful and to, to speak their truths um, to what's going on and that no matter what they say, that mom and dad love you no matter what. I I think that's the best way a parent can handle it. Not every parent necessarily says that, but that's what I encourage parents to say. Seth, um, let's just say that you and Courtney are not working together, that it's some other guardian ad litem and maybe one that you don't want to deal with. And they come in and they bring this report that is unfavorable to your client. Right. Right. What do you do in that case? Settle. That's a <laughs> settle the case. Right. <laughs> so that's a common thought process is that when you have a guardian involved, whether you wanted it, the other side wanted it, and you objected and the court ordered it, or the court on its own said, we're getting a guardian involved, which the court has the power mm-hmm. to do. It check your local jurisdiction. So <laughs> always, Pete, always. Um, so then um it is a very common theme that judges will just do whatever the guardian says. And so when a report comes back and Courtney makes a recommendation that this is what the parenting plan should be, the visitation, the custody arrangement, or a child should play soccer or do this extracurricular, or this is how we should do things. It's very common for people then to settle their case within those parameters or pretty close. But let's say I have a client that says, no, I'm not settling. I think Courtney got it wrong or Courtney never's wrong. So we'll pick the other guardian, as you said. So what do I do as a lawyer? I will attack the assumptions. In every report, in everything we do, there's always assumptions. So a basic example, which this is not an assumption I would attack, but it's a great example to get the concept. I would ask Courtney, did you review the children's report cards? Yes. How were their grades on the week when, and let's say I represent dad, on the week that they were with dad? They were horrible. They were Fs. They were Ds. Homework wasn't turned in. Courtney, what if any assumption do you have in making that determination? She's making an assumption that that report card was an accurate report card. Or that the assignments that were turned in that week were actually assignments that were done that week. Exactly. There's all... I could be a lawyer. You, you're signing up, brother. Yeah. Let's go. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I really need to be a podcast host because that's going <laughs> to yeah, turn out right. well. Um, but there's always assumptions 
like that. And so when I go to, quote unquote, attack a report, here are the general areas of assumptions or what Courtney does. And Courtney, if you disagree with any of this, let me know. Mm-hmm. Courtney gathers information so I can attack how she gathered it. Did she spend 10 minutes with this child or did she spend an hour and a half? How many visits? Did she get a real flavor? Did she get a good picture? So how did she gather the information? Then she records the information somehow for her notes. So did she not write those notes from that meeting with that child until three weeks later? So maybe her notes are now flawed. Or did she do it right when she got in the car? Because you don't take notes when you're talking to a kid. Well, sometimes you do. Oh, there you go. Courtney might. <laughs> Sometimes so, you. So she's doing it right away. And or so then you can attack the notes or her proper recording of that, those issues. Then she takes all of that and she does an analysis to come to a conclusion. So you can attack the analysis. And as a lawyer, you never really want to be in the position where the report in quotes goes against your client. Mm-hmm. I've gone to court, not just against a guardian before, is actually um, a child custody evaluator, which is someone with a PhD that ran psychological testing on the parents and did everything Courtney does, but even with this added element, and I beat the report. So even though the, the doctor in that case recommended one parenting plan and my client wanted another one, at trial, the judge did not just go with what the doctor said. And the judge is not required just to do what Courtney said or the other guardian that we're talking about. They could have a bad day. They could get it wrong. Or the judge just might see it differently. Because the guardian's job is to do all that investigation, collect the information, do the analysis, record it, do the analysis and write the report. And That's their job. It's not to advocate. So when Courtney does that and she does a good job on that, it shouldn't really matter to Courtney, though we're human beings, what that judge rules because Courtney's done her job. And if the judge hears from 30 other witnesses that maybe Courtney didn't talk to because they weren't asked to talk to and they tell a different story and the judge believes that and says, well, no one asked Courtney to talk to these 30 other people that just went in there and bashed mom. Mm-hmm. So Courtney only controls yeah. what what she has control of. Courtney, do you agree, disagree with any of that or am I just brilliant today? I think you're brilliant today, Seth. <laughs> just today, though. Just today. For a very brief moment. Yeah, that's right. But today <laughs> does come to an end. <laughs> the and So it, that actually gets to another question that we, we were noodling over, which is like how um, how heavily does the judge weigh the report of the guardian ad litem? Like it's it seems like something that is... You know, that it sounds like you get a, a chance to attack or defend the report. Yeah, you do. But Courtney, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you heard this in court from a judge? I'm not prejudging the case, <laughs> but I can tell you in my five years in family law, I've only not agreed with the guardian three times. Like <laughs> I've, I've heard that. Yeah. I have had a judge not agree with my recommendation. It happened once. Once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See how she's a All little right. annoyed by it to this day. I am. You, could yeah, you hear I mean, that? You could kind of tell. Like, man, that was. I was surprised. She gave us the real side <laughs> eye for even asking the question. Sorry to bring that up, Courtney. No, it's okay. You know, it was I was I was brought in on one issue. It was a single issue, yeah. and I recommended one way, and the judge ordered a different way. 
there were two options, mm-hmm. A or B. Interesting. So, yeah. but otherwise, you know, I mean, I think a lot of times judges will take the recommendation and maybe tweak pieces of it. So they'll maybe adopt big chunks, but then pieces they'll tweak. There's no real winning in family law. So let's... Everybody in some way loses a little bit. Everyone loses. A little bit or a lot. Yeah. 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 So is is there a circumstance, maybe this is more for Seth, is there a circumstance in which you as an attorney would tell your client, you need to change your behavior so that we can avoid bringing in a guardian ad litem? They're just going to they're going to uncover things that may be unfavorable that maybe I mean, we just need to avoid that process. Absolutely. I'll give you a perfect example, which I has been very successful. And I think a lot of good lawyers use this. I'm sure Courtney does when she is representing clients. A frequent reason to have a guardian is when you have a parent who's suffering from alcoholism and their substance abuse. What I frequently recommend, and this might sound counterintuitive at first, Pete, is to tell that client, do you believe you're an alcoholic? Now, it's all attorney-client privilege. I'm talking to them. And if I get an answer that I think is, I believe they're an alcoholic by the way they answer the question, Mm -hmm. okay, and I've been doing this a long time, I'll tell the client, here's what I think we should do. It's up to you. I give advice and counsel. It's your decision to take it or not. I think they're going to get a guardian ad litem, and that guardian ad litem is going to look into this issue. And that guardian ad litem is there for the kids, and it's on their behalf. And so they're kind of looking to protect your children because that's their job. So Ty does not go to you. It goes to the kids. Yeah. they're they're In that case, they're protecting the kids from you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I recommend that you start voluntarily getting random alcohol tests. And I want you to continue that on a weekly basis or whatever the random drug tester recommends. And then by the time we get to court, if you've passed them all for the last three months or six months, Mm -hmm. then we go in and you say, well, sir, did you get an alcohol test? Yes. Why? I knew this was going to be an issue that my wife was going to raise. Okay. And I wanted to, though I'm not an alcoholic, I appreciate that she's concerned about that. And therefore, I wanted to get tests to help alleviate her concerns. And by the way, here's six months of random alcohol tests. And judge, I don't think, now I'm saying, judge, I don't think we need a guardian ad litem. Here's six months of tests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now the guardian doesn't get in there on alcohol and find some other stuff. Mm -hmm. Because no one talked about the cocaine. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Here, I am thinking after six months, I'm going to be clean and sober, but I eat about 70 Butterfingers a day, <laughs> and you guys go straight to the Coke. <laughs> it's always the Coke. <laughs> it's always the Coke. And now uh, we know what's on Courtney's <laughs> business card. Courtney Bowes, quote, it's always the Coke. <laughs> But that's the reason, you know, so sometimes you don't want people, you know, like you say, noodling around in there. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
This is this has been incredibly illuminating. Courtney, if there's one part of your job that you feel like we have not uh, litigated on this podcast for you, uh, what would uh, what would you like to leave people with in, in terms of understanding what you do as a guardian? Oh, well, um, I, I think we've covered a lot of it for sure. Um, I think it's important just for for people to remember that the guardian isn't being brought in to to take sides with either parent or to be an advocate for either parent, the guardian's there for the kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what, um, what the, uh, what the appointment's about. Um, And also keep in mind that if you do have a guardian and they are preparing a report, even if the report is, is making recommendations in favor of one parent, that parent's not going to like what the report says because the guardian has to dig into everything and nobody's perfect. We're all human. Um, So typically the reports are going to be unflattering for both parents. Um, It's just the way that the recommendations may fall. So when a guardian reaches out prior to preparing the report to make some informal recommendations or suggestions to the attorneys for settlement purposes, they should really consider it (laughs) before the report gets drafted. Before the hammer falls. Wow. I mean, Pete, do you really want to read what a third party thinks about your parenting? Mm -mm. No, I do not. And do you want to pay that person to do it? Oh, God. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. So who, who does pay for you? The parents. The parents pay for you. Yeah. And sometimes the lawyers will argue over what percentage one parent should pay versus the other based upon a host of factors, how much money they have, incomes, mm-hmm. or what wow. we think the problem wow. is. And um, yeah. And yeah. You it's know, been incredibly illuminating. It, it, it can sound like lawyers might not want this because it makes everything more complicated. Or, or But I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of lawyers will be like, let's get a guardian. Mm-hmm. I, I can't go depose or interview your child. If you're telling me these issues are, the only way for me to uncover those and bring them before the court is a guardian. I can file a motion to have a judge talk to a child, but that's going to be. Are, are the judges really the most equipped party to interview a child? I'll answer it, Courtney. I can see I was, the look I, on your I, face. I'm like watching Courtney not wanting to yes, answer that question. <laughs> wow. Um, I did not know that was going to be a that conversation. Is a grenade. question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the deal. It's very difficult for a judge who is skilled at asking questions and skilled at connecting with people to interview children because they're coming to a courtroom or into the judge's office. They're always going to have a deputy or a bailiff there with them so the judge can't be accused of anything wrong happening. Mm-hmm. It may or may not be recorded by a, a, a court reporter. It's so it's just a bad place for a child to be. And now you're asking this judge who's doing the best they can on behalf of justice and trying to figure out what's happening to make the best decision for this child, having to get answers in that scenario. I mean, it it's a lot better when Courtney can go to their home or go see them at a swim practice or in their own environment. It is a foreign environment to our clients, to the parents. Mm hmm. Now take a 13-year-old having to walk in, like going through airport security, but it's a courthouse and they're going through security. And then they come up and they're trying to dress nicely. And maybe they're not really used to having to wear a collared shirt. And But they are because they're going to go see a... It's just not 
a great place. For Everything's terrible everything. in that situation. Yeah. Right. For and the judges doing right. the best they can. Now, there's some judges not talking to kids because they don't think, probably rightfully so, anything they're going to get out of that kid is worth putting the kid through that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, see, Courtney, okay. I covered for you there. Thanks. That was great. That was good stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're a good team. All right, you guys. Hey, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Super illuminating, Courtney. Thank you so much for for teaching us a little bit about what you do and uh, how you do it and why you do it. Uh, I hope this is useful for everybody out there listening. Um, And uh, make sure as we're uh, cruising through our season two of How to Split a Toaster. If your podcast app has a directory that allows you to leave reviews, we sure would love you to to jump in there and, and leave us that five-star review and, and nice comments. Uh, frankly, if it's not five stars or, or a nice comment, we're less interested. <laughs> you can email just, me. I would just, like to hear can, those because I'm always trying right, to we'll, we'll hear those. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Uh, on behalf of Courtney Bowes and Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.